Hey guys, welcome to The Strength Connection. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Michael Krakowski, and today on the show, I'm joined by my very special guest, Coach Dana Cavalea, the former head strength coach and director of performance for the New York Yankees baseball organization. So I was a lifelong baseball fan and a lifelong Yankee fan growing up. So be able to connect with Coach Dana, this was just an absolute dream for me. So we got a chance to talk about his origin story of coming in at 19 years old as an intern working with Jeff Bangold with the Yankees, his journey through Major League Baseball working with different organizations, and how at just 23 years old, he got a call from GM Brian Cashman to take over the head strength coach position with the team. So got a chance to talk about all the different things that surrounded being a head coach of a professional sports organization, chatting about winning the World Series and working with the players around that time, and then his transition of going from working in the professional sports organization into how he works with high-level performing corporate organizations. So this is one of my favorite interviews that we've done recently. It was so great to connect with Coach Dana. I know you guys are gonna enjoy it a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll catch you on the inside. And welcome everyone. Coach Dana, it is honestly a true honor to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is gonna be great. Cool, Mike, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So like I said, I grew up a huge Yankee fan. So it's like, honestly, my first goal in uh, life was to replace Chuck Knobloch at second base when I was a kid. <laughs> when, when that didn't happen, I got into the strength and conditioning world where it's like, all right, now I need to go and train the second baseman for the actual Yankees yeah. and get into the world of athletic conditioning. And then I found you who were a part of that organization for so long and then built into your corporation now. So it really has been a, a you know, a lifelong dream to talk to you since I got into this world. So yeah, I really appreciate no, it. Cool. You, you should have reached out sooner, man. I, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just what it is. But yeah, no, you know what? I actually had a similar dream. You know, for me, I wanted to be a player for the Yankees myself. I grew up a Yankee fan. I grew up on Long Island and, you know, I'd go to games with my father and, uh, you know, we'd go to the stadium we'd sit at the top of the stadium and I always say you get to watch two games at once you get to watch the planes fly by that's how high we were sitting and you get to watch a ball game so oh, there you go <laughs> you get the best of both worlds there but uh you know sometimes you have to find an alternative path to where it is that you want to go when being a player doesn't work out absolutely so, yeah you know, and, it and it turns out to be such a blessing at that time too it does because you know what I learned in in man working with these players through the years, even the best of the best, it's hard. It's really difficult. You know, physically, it's difficult. Emotionally, it's different, uh, difficult psychologically. So, you know, you get to the big leagues, but staying there is a really, really mm. difficult thing and it's challenging. And, uh, you know, the more I was involved in the physical performance and even the mental performance of players and enhancing that, I said, I think I'm on the right side of the game, right? I enjoy the development and I don't have to worry as much about every at bat. I worried about guys mm. getting hurt every at bat, but I didn't have to worry about it from a performance standpoint, whether I was getting a hit or not. So that was nice. You get to sit back once that game starts and enjoy the game every night. Oh, really? I never thought of it that way. It's like you do, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get to be a fan at some point and make sure the guys are doing well and then do your job at the other time. Well, you know, you, you always have to be a fan. That's, yeah. what I, that's what I would always remind myself is like, you always have to be a fan of the game. You have to be a fan of all your players and you're rooting for them. Uh, you know, when they fail, here's where the difference is. You know, as a fan, you can say, ah, you suck, bop, bop, bop. But as a coach, you say, okay, how can I get this player better? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's looking at it through all, you know, those lenses, lens of fan and lens of coach at the same time, which is kind of cool. Right, right, cool. 
So um, the question I got, it's been on my mind since we even started this. This is the main question I wanted to get. It's probably the most cliche thing ever. You probably answered it a million times, but I don't care. I have to have it. So you started, you got a job as an intern with Jeff Mangold at 19. And then four years later, you got the call from Brian Cashman and offered you the job of head strength coach and director of performance at 23 years old. Now, yeah. just I remember going back to being 23. I did not know anything about the world. And now you're in a position where you're in a top level of an organization that is like the staple in sports franchises of the New York Yankees. What yeah. did it feel like of getting that call from Brian Cashman? And now you're in this position at such a young age. Well, there were, there were a lot of steps before that, before that call, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, I always tell my, my story is, you know, I, I, I grew up on long Island. I went to the university of South Florida down in Tampa. I wanted to be a player there. Uh, unfortunately they didn't have an open tryout for me to even try out. So I end up interning with the football team at the university of South Florida. I knew the Yankees were coming to town for spring training. So literally one February day, I decide, you know, to head over to spring training. I'm watching the, through a chain link fence. I'm watching players like Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit and all these players, you know, engage in team stretch and get ready for the day. And here I am with my flip phone, you know, you know, taking pictures through that chain link fence, sending it home to New York. I was just one of those pompous weather lovers. I was like, man, it's 70 degrees. It's freezing at home. Check this out. And it was, it was amazing. And then I literally got back in my car, which was parked a mile and a half away because I couldn't afford parking any closer. And I go back to my internship at the University of South Florida, where I worked with, you know, one of my, one of my favorite guys, Coach Ron McKeefrey and Coach Mack calls me into his office and he says, Hey, can I talk to you? And I said, Oh man, what did I do wrong here? And he said, I just got a call from the strength coach with the Yankees, who was Jeff Mangold. And uh, he wants to know if you'd be willing to watch the weight room, hand out towels and just kind of help them out. Would you have any interest in that? I said, Hey, I just got back from there. When do I start? And he's like, you start tomorrow. And I said, perfect. So the next day I pull up nice and close, park my car up front. Cause I have my own spot. I walk in the main office. They say, hey, are you Dana Cavalier? I said, yeah, we have you on the list. Come on in. They threw a credential around my neck, C for clubhouse, F for field access. And the next thing you know, that field I was taking pictures of the day before through a chain link fence, I'm now on the other side of the fence. So that's where my, my intern journey started, right? And at 19 years old, you know, outside of loving to train myself and working with the football team at USF, I didn't really have a lot of experience so there was a, a level of like, well, what the fuck do I do now? I don't know much from here. So I just kept showing up and I showed up and I showed up and I showed up and I actually did that for a year. And then I, at the end of that spring training, I went and I worked with the Blue Jays and I worked short season a ball with them, with a guy by the name of Chris Joyner and another guy by the name of Donovan Santos, who are great guys as well. And then in the summer, I would actually work uh, Gulf Coast League with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So in the morning, I'd go work with the Pirates, get in my car, and drive over to Dunedin to the spring training facility of the Blue Jays. Then the following season, same deal. Go work with the Yankees in spring training and then do the same thing again. And then finally, Cash called and said, hey, uh, we just hired somebody new to be our head guy. Do you want to be an assistant? And I said, yeah, I do. So I ended up becoming the assistant. And one month into the season, you know, we ended up uh, 
having a rash of hamstring injuries. Guys were getting hurt. And Cash calls me in his suite in Texas and says, hey, I just want to let you go, let you know I let the head guy go, and I want you to, to be the interim head strength coach. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, oh, my gosh, absolutely. So I, that, was, that was really how the journey started. And, and the reality is I spent two to three years building relationships with the players. So when they heard interim, they went to bat for me and said, hey, Cash, this guy, you know, he, he can do this job. And I remember Jason Giambi, we were in Texas getting ready for the start of a game against the Rangers. My first game is the head guy. And he goes, don't worry, brother, we got you. And, and that was it. And from that point, I was like, that was awesome. That's cool. Now let's go to work. And that's what, <laughs> that's what I did. Wow. So, so it, it, there was a lot of steps before <laughs> that pop moment. Because sometimes when you listen to shows and you, you watch people on TV, you know, they give interviews, they give you that highlight moment. Like it was just a call that happened to come. Mm-hmm. And then I was the guy. And, and there was a lot of, of, of time and work and effort and sending videos to cash of like warmups that I was coming up with, like all of that. None of that has been, you know, gets talked about or documented. Right. So uh, you mentioned really the relationship building, you know, from the beginning day and all the way up from there. Was that something that was really addressed by the team of what they wanted to do? Or did you just naturally think like, I just need to get as close to these guys as possible and know what they need at all um, times? Well, for me, I, what I came up with was one of the first, I, I, I was a player myself. So mm-hmm. I looked at it from the standpoint of every baseball player has a scouting report on their abilities, right? You know, mm-hmm. how do they move to the left? How do they move to the right? right? You know, speed, you know, hitting, hit for power, all of that, right? All the tools are documented in a scouting report. And then graded. And I said, well, if you do that for a player on the skill side, why don't you do that on the performance side? So my mm-hmm. selling point was I created what I believe is the, the, in baseball, the first player profile where we, we documented everything from, you know, shoulder range of motion, external, internal, torso mm-hmm. rotation left versus torso rotation right. You take goniometric measurement, internal rotation of the hip, external rotation of the hip, leg length differentials that may exist. Um, activation patterns, you know, does the hamstring activate before the glute or does the glute activate before the hamstring on a, you know, on a, on a leg elevation, things like that. So I was able to create this scouting report, which was a capture moment of a a performance-based scouting report. What I did was I did that on every player. And then what I did was I gave it to Cashman, our GM, and I highlighted on every one of those scouting reports, player risk. So if you had in multiple categories, if you were at the bottom of the, I guess the distribution, you know, you'd be classified as red. This person may be yellow. This person may be green. So if we saw multiple asymmetries that existed, if we saw different imbalances that existed, if we cross ref, if we cross reference that with an injury history that was extensive, we created risk. I mean, there was no like, uh, you know, high level science to this. I mean, there was in that, but we distilled down a lot of those principles to say, Hey, this is high risk. This is moderate risk. This is low risk. And what we found through the years. And when I say we, I created this and I briefed Steve Donahue, our trainer and Gene Monahan on this. We found the time. We always said time bombs go off. So if you were read the chance of you getting hurt was through the roof. Now think about that. If you're a GM that has to make a decision on a player to give them a multi-year contract 
and you have all this data on the skills and you know their DL history, and now you're provided another resource mm-hmm. like this scouting report, player performance report, you could make a better judgment call and say, hey, you know what? He's been hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. Here's all his risk factors in red. He's a time bomb. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe his best years are behind him. And so, so that's something you know to, to, that, that we focused heavily on. That was the differentiator. I'm sure for the players too, they probably enjoyed seeing that as well, because I mean, we know all about like the five tools in baseball. That's what everybody like talked about for a lot, but like this, what you're talking about, you know, Dana is like actually seeing That's the main thing with pro sports, right? Who can stay on the field versus not. That's the first thing that you have to do. Totally. I mean, listen, there's a big, there's a big name that a decision is going to be, you know, made on this upcoming year and a guy like Aaron judge, you know, Mm -hmm. so as a, from a performance perspective, it's very easy, right? He'd be, he'd be classified as a, as a yellow to red. And you have to answer that question say, cause players that get hurt will typically get hurt again. If you've been hurt before, it's a great risk. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it lets you know that there's a good chance for injury Mm -hmm. in the, in the future. So here's the data. Now you, as the GM obviously have to make a decision on that. And there's a lot of factors that go into that decision, but he'd be the next guy. We had a player by the name of AJ Burnett, same thing mm-hmm. brought him in from the Toronto blue Jays. Mm-hmm. And we had, we knew he had a big injury history and our job for the three, four years that he was with us was to keep him healthy. So we identified risk. Okay. Typically an elbow guy. So we brought in Gil chimes, good friend of mine to do soft tissue work, uh, acupuncture, all that kind of stuff, electroacupuncture. And we, we learned to maintain him. Gotcha. So, so that's the other side of it, but you have to look deep into players to see what risk factors are in order to get them to where you want them to be. Wow. Okay. It's amazing because now, especially in baseball, you see so much different analytics of different things that they look at where it wasn't too long ago when these things weren't around. And it's like, this seems like it was kind of one of the first ways that you found a way to really see just the next level, the layer under it, not just ability, but how are we going to keep somebody as in the longevity side of it? That's really the main thing. That's, that is, that's the main thing. And and the (laughs) longevity side of it could be, you know, if a player is going to be with you for three, four years, that's the longevity that you need. You got to keep them healthy for those three or four years. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't necessarily have to keep a player healthy for a lifetime, but you have to keep them healthy for the time that they are with you. And, and you know, what I find interesting is like, you know, you go to those meetings and you hear about even in baseball today, you know, analytics, but the, the, the biggest gap that I've seen is, okay, now you can identify certain things like, you know, if you can identify risk, but a lot of the training is still the same as it was years ago. So we haven't adapted training protocols to match the newly identified risk factors. You know, mm-hmm. you're still seeing squats, you're still seeing deadlifts, you're still seeing step ups, you're still seeing lunges, you're still seeing all of that. So what's, what has really changed? So people say, wow, there's still so many injuries in baseball. It's like, yeah, because there's been no change, right? You can mm-hmm. identify but if you're not willing to correct, right. then what are you doing? Right. There's right. so, yeah. And, yeah. and I always had this argument as well. You have one area you actually have the most data is in a, is in a strength training facility, because we know exactly by program, how many reps that player did mm-hmm. when they go into the batting cage and they rupture an oblique, right. Or they tear an oblique. We don't know how, well, how many, how many swings did that player take this week? Mm. No idea. 
he swung and swung and swung as much as he felt necessary. Where right. how many off how many off the tee? How many flips? You know, how many inside BP, you know, swings did he take? How many outside did he take? Mm-hmm. We we have no idea. Right. So, oh, so, wow. so yeah, the, it's it's a whole science to it, but I always say that the the training room, right? That that strength and conditioning facility is an area that is very monitored mm-hmm. and it's very quantified, which is wow. which is yeah. great. So one of the big, I mean, one of the big teams that you worked with was 2009 world champion Yankees, you know, from there as well, uh, from, you know, peer reviewed your strength coach of the year at that time, mm-hmm. going into that year, I know there was some big acquisitions at that time with, with CC, with AJ, with, uh, with Teixeira. Yeah. Did it feel like just a different team when you went into it that year with them and what kind of led them into the world series? Well, you had the confidence that we had the team to win mm-hmm. because you, you brought in, you know, those big names, you spent a fortune, you already had a ton of talent there. The biggest question was, can these big names adapt to the system that we had in place or were they going to come in and try to call their own shots? And like when Tex first arrived, I'm like, this guy is going to be a, such a pain in the ass because, you know, he had his way and, you know, he had all this Scott Boris stuff with him. But the truth is like, he's actually one of my closest friends right now. So Cause he's so easy to talk to and you can get to the root of things. But so the ability for them to adapt to our system was probably the biggest question. And, you know, we, we got, we didn't play that great in the first half of the year. We played good enough, but it, during that season, I remember there was a meeting we had in Atlanta and cash held the meeting and basically, you know, told us you can play a lot better than you're playing right now. And I brought many of you in here to play better than you're playing right now. And I remember we went out and we won that night and we just kept winning. And the one thing that, that I realized that year that was different is we had a ton of come from behind victories. So we were never out. So there was a lot of celebration in, in these come from behind victories. And every time we came from behind, we had these moments of deeper connection as a team. And then we had a fight in September. My other buddy, Jorge Posada, um, a pitcher threw at him and he, t- I forgot the guy's name. And he said, don't do that. Don't do that. So as, as Georgie was, um, he was on second and I forgot who hit him, hit him in. And as he was crossing the plate, he lunged towards that pitcher and hit him like this mm-hmm. and both benches cleared. <laughs> the one guy that told me this was Jeff Mangold. And he told me, he said, Dana, listen the one thing that brings a team closer together than anything is not winning. He says it's a fight. And that's what happened that year. And we did, we went on to win. That's so interesting. Yeah. I think there's so many correlations that you can use because not everybody, you know, in there is on a professional team or plays with a professional sport, but a lesson like that, it seems can go into anything. Like if you're on a team in business or if you're on just a, a local team or so, that kind of coming through adversity and showing that brotherhood behind it. Like that's, those are the things that seem like really bond you and you really need to almost create those things throughout almost like a slight chip on your shoulder to push through. True. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's reality. You know, Mm -hmm. like I I work with a lot of corporate teams now and it's Mm -hmm. like, you got to get tough. You'll get tough, play the game, play hard, play this game the way you need to play it. You know, whether the game is baseball, whether it's business, you know, if you're a strength coach, you have to, play the game hard, like do what's right, do what's best for your players, do what's best for your people, but don't coddle them. Don't baby them, challenge them. Right. That's that's the key. Yeah. 
What was that transition like? Because I know after you left uh, the Yankees and then you went into the world um, in strength and conditioning and now working even with corporate teams, you know, high achievers in a different area of the world. Did you see when you made that transition, was there a lot of similarities that you saw or was it more there was a lot of differences between what you saw with the team going after it and trying to win the World Series Mm. to what was going on kind of in the corporate world? Well, you know, the corporate world, there's a lot more excuses made and tolerated. And in sports, you don't get excuses and you don't ever get those excuses tolerated, at least not, you know, for, for a period of time. So the, the transition that I saw was, you know, in, in business, there's a lot of what I call outs. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Okay, let me get out. You know, let me take an out. Or I don't feel good today. I'm not going to do something, right? Or I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to whatever. But in in sport, you don't have that option. Like you have to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the only time I didn't show up was when I was in Baltimore and I got dehydrated. And I was, I mean, I had to go get a bag of IV at a hospital, right? So that's why I, I didn't, sh- I still showed up, but from, I wasn't able to do my, my job that day mm-hmm. because I had to go get a bag. <laughs> you know, cause it gets ste- steamy as hell. And, you know, sometimes, you know, us strength guys do stupid stuff like sit in a sauna too long after right. much coffee and, <laughs> uh, oh, excuse me, a steam room, uh, in a highly humid area. But so that was a mistake, but, but you don't get the outs in sport that you get, that you get in business. So what I try to, when I work with high performers and I work a lot in, in the finance community, private equity, venture capital, uh, sales teams, people that are eat what you kill, entrepreneurs, builders, you know, I, I, I work to instill in them and with them the principles of sport, of what's tolerated and what's not, you know, setting an expectation and actually meeting it and or exceeding it, not coming up short and then justifying why you came up short. So there's a lot of justification that people use and deploy to cover their own ass and make them feel good. But the truth is you have to get dirty. You have to get gritty. You have to be all in. And, and I remember one of my clients, Brandon Steiner, who started Steiner sports, mm-hmm. he gave me a rock when we first started working together. And he said, listen, if you're all in, I'm all in. And we both have this rock and the rock says all in. And that's, that, that's very symbolic of what it takes to, to win it at, at anything and to win at everything. Mm-hmm. Full, full commitment. So yeah, there's a big difference between sports and business. I've just enjoyed, you know, being an ambassador between the two. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so interesting on that because, you know, in sports, it's almost put in there, right? There's 162 games, you know, there's an ending. The World Series is going to come. You're going to either be in it and you're going to be holding yeah. the trophy or not. It's very distinct where in life or in business or even just general getting better in shape and stuff, it almost feels easier. We can just take a day off because we know the next day is coming afterwards. Yeah. But- and we justify, right? Well, I earned yeah. this day off. I had a hard workout yesterday. So, you know, I feel good today, but I'm going to take the day off, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying don't take days off because in sports, we, we have days off. You know, we have off seasons. We have um, days during the month that you would get off. So you have to take those days. But because there's the other extreme of never taking a day off because I, I got to get better. So there's a lot of pursuit of excellence today mm-hmm. in this self-help, self-performance, mm-hmm. uh, self-improvement world. And there's also danger to that too, because we don't know when enough is enough. Right. So it's, it's just yeah. learning and helping people to calibrate better. 
Well, I remember there was a chapter in uh, your first book, Habits of a Champion, which was off days are off days. And I loved reading that because there was a passage, I believe it was in that when you talked about the best players that you worked with. And you said the best players do less than everybody else. They know exactly what they need to do and they don't worry about the other stuff afterwards. 100%. It's, it's, It's true. You know, the, the overachiever mind today says, well, if I'm not working, somebody else is. So I have to keep going. Like I have to keep, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to gain a competitive advantage by continuing to work and work hard and, and drive and grind and all that. Right. But that's mm-hmm. not, that's not fact. As a matter of fact, even in business, some of the highest performers that I work with, they take a lot of time off. It's scheduled. It's, you know, it's off. It's, I'm turning off, right? They hit the button, they hit the switch, they turn off. They're not half on and half off. They're off mm-hmm. or they're right. on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I got it. Ch- I read your first book on there, but I know you have another book as well, which is more focused on Habits of a Champion Team Edition from there. Right. What's yeah. in, what is, what's the difference in that book and what was inspired you to write um, the second book well, from this chapter? When I wrote Habits of a Champion, it was really just, you know, um, for the individual. But then I started to work with a lot of teams from that book. And I said, okay, well, what can I do to create and write a book that would service not just teams, but the leaders of teams? So this is more of, of a leadership book that takes you know, some of the principles, but mostly the style of Habits of a Champion and applies it to, to, to running a team, to leading a team. But leading any team starts with you. So are, you have to be primed. You have to be mentally ready. You have to be detailed. You have to be prepared. And then you can hold your team to that expectation because most teams and most members of teams, they don't know what to do. They don't really know like what your expectation is or how to behave like a champion. It's your job as a leader to help them become that. So that's, that's what we work to put. That's what I work to share in, in habits of a champion team. It says habits of a champion team, the formula to winning big in sports life and business. So my style of, of writing is a lot like how I speak, right? It's direct. It's, it's straight. There's no twists and turns. It's like, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved of reading your book. Cause it was just so direct and to the point on it. You know, it wasn't adding more words, which a lot of times we like to do is just like add more things to it when it's like, no, it's like, get as, you know, this is the simplest, most, you know, defined terms that we can of doing what you need to do. So as I said, that point when you talked about the best players and like, they're not adding more shit on top of shit just to do no. it and say it, no. it's like, and do it, what you need to. Everything matters, right? So mm-hmm. the one thing I learned from, again, working under Joe Torrey is, mm-hmm. hey, when, when you're gonna go do something, like dress the part, groom yourself, look a certain way, bring a certain energy and attitude with you. And if you're not willing to do that, well, you're not willing to do what it takes. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's that balance, you know, not, not really a balance. It's pretty one-sided in that way. That's awesome. Um, coach, um, I know I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you taking the time and jumping on. Yeah. It was great to meet you. And I would love to have you back on to, to chat more about this in the future. Cool. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Absolutely. If people want to check out your books, check out more of your content. What is the best place that we can uh, send the listener? So the books for the fastest buy is, uh, Amazon. Amazon. And then, uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, my website, danacavalia.com. I do a daily blog, Monday through Friday, newsletter, call it my champions newsletter. And then I have, uh, I do lessons on YouTube as well. You can get, you can get to all of that from there. So 
Perfect. Again, coach, honor to meet you. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, listeners, much love to you. If you want to check out Dana more, you know where to do so. I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you like the show, please give it a five-star review, give it a thumbs up, all that good stuff. And if you want to get the inside scoop on all new episodes coming up, behind the scenes insights and free training resources, then you can join the Strength Connection private Facebook group now. Just go to Facebook groups, type in the Strength Connection and join in. Also, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.